Good morning. Uh, I want you to inv- I want to invite you to get out your Bibles at this time. Uh, we're going to read this morning's scripture. It's the same scripture as two weeks ago, the last time Peter was here preaching with us. Um, he's going to continue a message. And it's Romans chapter 5. You can also follow along on the screens. And it's going to be verses 1 through 5, again in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here, and... uh, um, some of you are noting that I'm not speaking from my computer today. Uh, I was feeling kind of boxed in by the computer, uh, believe it or not. So I'm going to try paper today, and uh, we'll see how it goes. One of my worst nightmares with preaching on paper is dropping my notes, and they're not numbered, and then having to put it together the wrong way, and then preaching a better sermon. Um, a couple of uh, uh, things before I start on the sermon this morning. So I'm a pastor, and uh, often if I go to a church and there's a pastor there, at the beginning of the service, he's in the front and he does his thing. But at the end of the service, he's often in the back greeting people. And uh, when I think about being a pastor, sometimes that's the last thing I want to do, is to be that guy standing in the back shaking hands But I've been growing in my acceptance of my role and call. And uh, so we are going to try something new as a staff. We're going to try greeting people from the back. And the reason I want to do that is I don't get to see many of you. And uh, many of you get to see me just from here. uh, But I would love to be able to at least say hi to as many people as possible But if I hang out up here or I get caught in a conversation here, what happens is by the time I'm ready to go back, it's taken me 30 minutes to get out to the the lobby, and by then most of you are gone. And so starting today, uh, I'm going to try to do that. And uh, looking forward to saying hi. I still don't like the picture of the guy that has to uh, do that, but the spirit of it I really love, saying hi to people and greeting all of you. So... um, I'll be back there. And also, let me say this. Uh, I don't want there to be an uh, emotional complexity about this for you. If you don't want to shake my hand, there's other doors to go through. <laughs> don't feel obligated to be part of the bottleneck, uh, you know, right here. So just go on, you know, wherever you want to go. And uh, if you just want to wave as you pass or ignore me altogether, that's all good too. Okay? All right. Um, I want to let you know this morning that today is the last Sunday 
that you will uh, be at Mercer Island Covenant Church because starting tomorrow, we're going to pull the trigger on the name change and rebrand that we've been working on for months here at the church. And so today is a good time for you to grab a memento or a souvenir like that bulletin that you ignore every week. That could be worth something in a few years. And so I would not use it today. Make sure it's in mint condition. Uh, take it home, frame it, you know, do what uh, most good investors do. Uh, we are taking down our gold letters up on the front of the church, taking it down tomorrow morning. And, uh, you know, one idea we have is to give letters out as a door prize to uh, people. And then we thought, well, how do we decide who gets a letter or which letter? And what if some people don't get a letter and they get upset? And so that idea is becoming complex um, in our strategy sessions. But uh, it's kind of a um, mixed bag for me. Uh, I didn't think that I would feel attached uh, to the name uh, in just a year. But I feel that. I feel some sense of sadness, a little bit of loss. And uh, I think with any kind of change, uh, it involves a kind of grieving. And so I expect that that's going to be true, especially for those of you who have been here and who've called this church your home and you have memories and feelings and the faithfulness of God, instances attached to this place that was called Mercer Island Covenant Church. So I acknowledge that and... uh, um, and I pre- and I appreciate that you will you'll be going through uh, some things as we pull the trigger here. Um, you're going to see a change in our name, in our uh, branding. Uh, you know, branding is just shorthand for a feeling we get when we think about a organization. And so, if you think about McDonald's, you have feelings, and it's a shorthand way of conveying to you immediately all the things that they stand for. That's all a brand name is. And so, we're uh, reworking how uh, that brand looks visually. And then, our hope into the future is to live out the mission and the identity of that brand. Uh, there's a new website up, Mercer, uh, excuse me. Uh, new website up, evergreenchurch.cc. And the CC stands for something I don't, I don't remember, but in our world here, it stands for Covenant Church. So that's how you can remember that. Evergreenchurch.cc. All the staff emails are just first name at evergreenchurch.cc. And uh, next week, you'll see a new bulletin that matches our theme and uh, everything else uh, that's going to be rendering our name or brand is going to, uh, you, you'll see the design cascade from there. Okay, first, uh, the name and uh, rebranding. Let me just go over why we changed the name. I know I'd, I've done this before, but two really helpful reasons for me. One is that as a church, you know, Mercer Island Covenant Church, it's very easy to slip into sort of local church category here because there's a lot lot of local churches on the island. There's the blank local church and the blank local church. And Mercer Island can become just a local church. And being a local church is okay. But we know that about 60% of our people come from off the island. 
And we want to uh, understand that we are being called to be a regional church. And so we want to communicate the message that we are a regional church. We want to explicitly let people know that we are not just an island church or just a local congregation where people come to church once a month or, and it's just there doing its provincial thing. But it's, it's on a mission. We're joining God in his mission. And it's, it's available for all those who are willing to access it from near and uh, not so near. And so that's no, reason number one for changing it to Evergreen Covenant Church. Uh, second reason has to do with Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8. Let me read it here. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends, its out, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. We came across... This verse, and we knew that was for us when we were going through the uh, revisioning process here. Uh, the first thing I note is that the tree is just a tree, is just a tree, is just a tree. But what gives it life abundant and life into perpetuity is what? It's the water. Right? It's the stream that it is connected to. And so the first thing that this verse teaches us is that our life, it's not about us. It's really about the life of God in us. That's what allows us to flourish. And not just flourish for a short time, but forever, for all of eternity. And we recognize that that's an aspect about this church that's true. This church is 64 years old. This year going on to, uh, next year, you know, going on to 65 years old. That's a big one. We've had 14 senior pastors. I'm senior pastor number 14. I cannot preach a sermon you have not heard before. That's why I focus on my jokes. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, this church name, Evergreen Covenant Church, it's name number six. We've had six names now. And so there's nothing new, clearly, under the sun. Um, but it's God. It's God who breathes in your life. And then you notice the sign of this life is made visible through the leaf. Right? It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. And so you see in the logo a picture of a leaf. Some might ask, why isn't it an evergreen leaf if you, if you say evergreen? Well, because right after that are the words, are always green. Those three words in the Hebrew, it's the word ra'anan. And it's the Hebrew word that means always green or evergreen. And it's not referring to uh, non-deciduous trees. It's just saying that the leaves, the color, remains green forever. And so that's where we get the word evergreen. And it matches our region uh, it describes us, and you see the little E. Some might even see a church, church roof on there. And it allows us, uh, this truth of God, the life of God in us, allows us to bear fruit. Because we know that there's a difference between activity and fruitfulness. That we can be engaged in doing stuff and being busy as a church. Doesn't mean that we're bearing fruit that remains. And so that's where the name really finds its meaning and power. Evergreen 
Covenant Church. Now onto the website and the bulletin here. Uh, we wanted to, when we are thinking about our website, in keeping with our design and theme, we wanted to avoid clutter and the shouting and the gaudiness and the desperation that's so often uh, found in websites. And I hate to say this, but especially church websites. So up here are four, in my um, you know, opinion, uh, cluttery, and it's kind of shouting at me, many different people shouting at me at the same time. There's a gaudiness and maybe even a desperation uh, about these websites. And this is the easy thing to do. Templates for these kinds of websites are free. Uh, they're, just, they're just out there. Uh, but what we wanted to do is to have a clean look. This is the front page of our website. And that picture of me preaching there, that is on a carousel of images that rotates. So don't fear, it won't always be me. Uh, so um, what, what a website is, is it's not just about the information you derive from a website, but just like with a brand, what it's trying to do is to convey a feeling. And so when you saw the previous websites, you immediately had a feeling. The one underneath the feeling of concern that Peter's going to keep going on about this, there was another feeling And then when you saw this website, you have another feeling, right? You note that feeling. And so that's what we want to convey. And uh, a website is not an analog of our church. It doesn't have to have everything that our church has. And that's part of the uh, kind of, I think, a rookie mistake uh, when you were, to, if you were to create a website, you might think that, oh, we got to get this in there, we got to get this, and oh, we have this too, so we got to put it in there, and it becomes kind of this catch-all basket. Um, studies show that about ninety percent of the audience that visit a website are new people. Ninety percent, only ten percent of the users are established people. Like once you get used to Evergreen Church, you'll never think about it really, because. It becomes part of what you're used to, like white noise, you know, uh, like your wife talking to you, your children screaming for your help. These just things you just have a harder time hearing. <clears throat> I don't care if the morning crowd is tough. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> it at 1030, that would have had people just. And um, and so. We built the website for the newcomer, and it has just enough to get them in the door and make a human personal connection. And so a lot of links on here link directly to email addresses so that people can uh, reach out and touch someone. And um, so go, go ahead and go through the website there. It's our media page. That's our calendar that scrolls, news flash, registrations, and... Uh, Online giving is on the bottom, some other links there. All right, so go ahead and take a look. This link is live. The website will hopefully be in presentable form by tomorrow. It's not quite finished yet, um, and I realize it will never be finished. I can just tweak it ad nauseum. All right, so that's the name, the rebrand, the website, and uh, you'll wait for have to wait a week for the bulletin, which in my mind... Uh, is definitely a less is more approach to a beautiful bulletin. Evergreenchurch.cc
Yes. And once uh, the transition is sort of solid, MICC.org will also uh, point there. All right? Okay. Uh, two weeks ago, I started a sermon on hope, Romans 5, 1 to 5, and I stopped after the first half. <clears throat> and what I want to do today is I want to uh, finish the second half of that sermon, and I wasn't going to. I sent the second half of my sermon out in the loop, hoping that that would satisfy, but uh, my fan base reached out to me, and, uh, and they wanted more. And so uh, to satisfy that one person, I'm going to uh, finish the sermon today. But let me review here. Last time, uh, we said that hope, no matter what definition you use, it implies that we're not home yet. And that the reason we have hope is because we have a memory of home. That you live here. But something tells you this isn't quite it. We address some misunderstandings of hope. That hope is not an escape hatch. It's not an emotional crutch. It's not an excuse for laziness. You can't use the word hope in place of action. Right? Uh, And that it's not meant to uh, help you be indifferent. You know, you can't just hope and then not care. Uh, We said that hope actually gives us the courage we need to confront reality. That every hope we've ever had has disappointed us, but we come to learn that these other hopes, my hopes, your hopes, are ultimately here. Their purpose is to point us to the hope. That they serve as metaphors and as arrows, reminders of the great hope that is to come. And then we address the question, Why do we need hope? And we gave two answers. We said it provides a context for suffering. And then we talked about the conservation of anxiety, that we need Jesus to take on the anxiety and absorb the evil in our lives. Because all we can do at our best is to just uh, shuffle it. We can pass it on to other people. But we can't get rid of it because that's the first law, of thermo, uh, first law of thermodynamics, right? So today, we're going to uh, answer the question, how can you have this hope? Right? So last time, why do you need hope? This is why. And today, how can you have it? There's two ways that you can primarily have it. One is objectively you can have hope. And the second is subjectively you can have hope. Okay, so objectively, uh, how can you have hope? Paul says here, we exalt in our tribulations. And uh, tribulations, that, that's like the word for hardship and suffering. And I ask, why would I exalt in my tribulations? This is, these are the kind of verses that deal, I think, Christians a bad Uh, reputation, a bad blow here, because it makes Christians look like, sound like, and I think it misleads us to talk like uh, crazy people, like something horrible happens. Thank you for that horrible thing happening. And I think we're trying to exalt, we're trying to be a good Christian, have a good perspective on it. 
Uh, but that's not really what we're told to do here. Why do we do that? Why does Paul say that? Because there's a pattern that Paul describes right after he says we exalt in our tribulations. What's that pattern? Tribulations, the reason we exalt in tribulations is because tribulations leads to what? Perseverance. And perseverance leads to character. And character leads to hope. Oh, I like hope. So let me exalt in my, go back up a few steps. Exalt in my tribulations. Right? And our instinct when we read something like this is to say, oh, that's a good roadmap for me. That's a good should for me. Let me go ahead and do this. So when I am experiencing tribulation, then let me persevere through it. And then I will have proven character. And then that proven character will lead to hope. And then I'll be a better, happier person. Yes, this is about me. This describes me. This is a new law for me. Do you think that's true? God says, let me, let me just take the law that Jesus fulfilled off of you, the Old Testament stuff. Let me put on some New Testament laws on your shoulders. You should be able to carry these. Go ahead and not be crushed by this. How many of you would like to sign up for this class? And I'm trying to make it obvious that this pathway right here, tribulation, perseverance, character, hope, it's not ultimately about me or about you and our ability to go through this. This is not about us. We don't need the New Testament for this. All we need is the Old Testament. There's plenty of wisdom like this in there. What is this ultimately about? Well, tribulation means this. It means, it's tribulation is the word that means pressure. And the image there is the idea of a pressing together from top to bottom, just being crushed. Imagine pressure coming up from the bottom and pressure coming from the top. And here you are trying to hold up the pressure. And so the question is, how strong are you? And for how long can you be strong? You want to do that? Endurance. And it's, this word endurance means to keep going. To keep doing. So how long can you do this? For how long? How long can you endure? And then character, this word character, it means approved, tried, and true. And ultimately it means trustworthy. That your character, like who you are, is perfect. To use the same analogy, your muscles are perfectly strong. Such that you can hold the weight of this floor coming up and the ceiling coming down forever. That's character. And if you can do that, you can have hope. So there's this tribulation, this crushing And then you can keep doing it. And then you can do it forever without even trying because your muscles are just that way. That's who you are. You can fall asleep. You can eat a meal. You can do whatever you want because you're just doing it. It's easy. Is that descriptive of you? 
And the answer, of course, I'm trying to lead you to is no. And it's descriptive, descriptive of, the class said, Jesus, all right. <laughs> it's descriptive of Jesus. We are not trustworthy. We are not tried and true, are we? We are crushed under pressure, under scenarios, under situations, far less, far less than what Paul is describing here. Eventually, a breaking point finds us, and it breaks us, or it hardens us, right? Either we are crushed, or our minds are crushed, or our hearts are crushed. Something happens to us. How much pressure can we take? How long can we keep going? How trustworthy are we? And the answer really, if we're going to be honest, is not much. Not for long. We just aren't like that. We're just people. We're fragile and we're inconsistent. Jesus alone is trustworthy. And so we have verse one, what does verse one say? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Peter Sung. No. Oh, I know this one. Through Tim Krell, our, our great and famous ex-chair. Is Tim here? Hi, Tim. <laughs> that makes it very obvious. It can't be him. Right? It's got to be our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by what? By our works, by our endurance, by our character? No. By faith. Into the works? No. Into this grace in which we stand. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. Oh, this paper thing is confusing me. (laughs) And to make the point, to make the point that it is not us, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. What? Beyond what you can bear. What do you mean? There's a thing beyond what I can bear? Yes! You have a crushing point. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Why do we need a way out? Because otherwise, we're going to be crushed. So that you can endure it. So the only way we can endure it is if God provides a way out. And the word temptation here, it's the same word as the word trial. It's not a different word in the Greek. We just have to use it, uh, translate it differently depending on the context. So the only way we can endure it is to have a way out. And the question is, what's the way out? What's your way out? We need a way out. And hopefully in four or five years, we'll get to 1 Corinthians because we'll be done with Romans by then. And uh, we'll, we'll figure out what the way out is there Paul's talking about. So let me mention here the second law of thermodynamics. Anybody know what the second law of thermodynamics is? Entropy, right? You know what entropy is? Entropy is the measure of 
disorder. Entropy is a measure of disorder, a degree of disorder. And the second law of thermodynamics says entropy is always increasing. Always. So that means your house, if you just leave it, left it alone, it's going to get messier, not cleaner. Right? That means me, left to my own devices, I become a better person? No. I become a worse person because entropy, a measure of disorder, has to increase in Peter's song. It has to. This church building, if we just kept using it, it will not renovate itself. Sermons do not write themselves. Let me tell you that. I'm reminded of this every week. Your whole life, it just keeps tending towards chaos and disorder and decay. That beautiful new house you just bought, that plumbing's going to go. It doesn't matter if you paid extra for the copper pipes. It's going to go. That's entropy. That's thermodynamics. And that's the same for us. We have a point at which we will begin to decay. Right? So objectively, we understand this pathway, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And there is this historical person who lived and died and rose again to tell us you can have hope. Because it's not you. If you look to you, you have no hope. Look to me. In me there is hope. Because when I died, I didn't decay. I didn't tend towards chaos. I'm not in the ground. But I'm up forever. And put your trust in me and you have hope. That's objectively. Now, uh, subjectively, we can also have hope. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through what? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, where in the heck did the Holy Spirit come from? We had Jesus in verse 1, and then we had God throughout mentioned three other times in this verse. Okay, those two guys are cool. But verse 5, out of nowhere, Paul springs out Holy Spirit. And here is, I think, what he's saying. That you and I, because of who we are, because of the entropy that we're subject to, we need something beyond ourselves. We need the subjective voice of the Holy Spirit in us to prevent us From decaying. You know we talk to ourselves all day. We do this. If you don't know you do this. That means you are the crazy one. (laughs) Everybody else around you knows. You're talking to yourself. That voice alone. Is going to crush you. That voice is not wise enough. That voice is not loving enough. That voice is not consistent enough. That voice is moody and it's selfish, and it's dumb, and you listen to that voice only, and you're going to be crushed. You're going to have tribulation, and it's not going to lead you to the other things. That's not the pathway you're going to take. You need another voice. And it's, according to Paul here, the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the very presence of God in 
you. And this gets a little bit, you know, hokey, and I don't, I don't quite know what to do with this, but here's what I do know. Please don't leave me alone. I really, really need the Holy Spirit in my heart. I need the Holy Spirit in my mind. I need daily, throughout the day, intervention by the living God himself. Because otherwise, entropy takes over. I start decaying. You know, at first... At first, the white looks a little bit, you know, gray. And then the gray looks a little bit darker. And then soon, all I see is black. Everything is dark. I have no hope. And I don't know if that's true for you. But I know I cannot be trusted. I need an alien force. An alien presence in me. And this is what grace really is. The grace that we are standing in. You know, when, when Paul writes that, he's not imagining that, you know, I take love out of me. Like, I, he takes my heart out, squeezes some love on the floor, and there's a puddle of grace, and I'm standing in my own grace. Oh, that's good enough. No. That grace that I'm standing in, it's from Jesus Christ. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The way that I experience that on a subjective level is through the Holy Spirit. And grace, by definition, is alien. This is next week. But let me just say, it's not from you. It's not of this planet. You've never experienced grace actually in your life. Nobody on earth has ever been gracious to you. Everybody has only loved you based on conditions. Even your mama and your papa. Even they had to have you as their child to love on you the way they did. And even that love was so imperfect. And you only realize how imperfect when you become a parent. You need the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, One quick story here, and then we we will close with one application point. Uh, One of my favorite authors, and you've heard me quote him many, many times already. His name is Malcolm Gladwell. He's an editor-in-chief of uh, The New Yorker. And um, he's he's just an amazing author. He wrote books like Blink and uh, Outliers and The Tipping Point. And his latest, latest book, David and Goliath, the subtitle there is Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And if you've read one of his books, you've kind of read all of them because all of them are about grace in a way. And uh, he, he, in the course of writing and researching this book, uh, converted himself to become a Christian. And I just found out this week, I was so ecstatic. And I went online and I read articles and interviews and saw videos of him talking about his new faith. He actually grew up in a Mennonite Anabaptist tradition. And he's trying to decide, but he thinks he's going to go back to his Anabaptist roots. Um, But one of the reasons, the main reason he says in his interviews that he became a Christian is because he interviewed all of these underdogs and misfits who were battling giants throughout history. He interviewed them. He talked to them. He talked to people who were there, eyewitnesses. And he said the one thing that every single interviewee had in common 
was their faith. And they talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so Malcolm Gladwell says he went back and he changed the book. And in the book, the very first chapter begins with the story of David and Goliath. And he talks about how can David possibly lose to Goliath? He had the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. And he says that not in a trite way, not to try to sound Christian, because he certainly wasn't at the time. But that's what he heard as a common thread in all of his interviewees. The only way they can battle giants, the art of it, really, a big part of that art is having the Holy Spirit in you. And so I want to tell you, you want to go down that path where tribulation leads to, what was it? Perseverance and perseverance to character and character to hope. That pathway is possible for you with the Holy Spirit. Because that's the regenerating presence that's going to keep you from entropy. That's how you don't get worse with old age. That's how you survive the season of loss as you get older and everybody, everything and everybody around you is experiencing loss. That's it. You're going to be gaining. And so here's my one application point. I want to ask you to ask for the gift and presence of the Holy Spirit. So that you may know his hope, his peace, and his love. And some of you say, well, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm already a Christian. Well, put that aside for a second. Because in this confession, in the asking, is the confession of our need. And it's creating emotional and spiritual space. And it's expressing our desire for the fullness of God in our life. It's, it's saying to God, I don't have, please give. Or it's saying to God, I have, but please give more. Okay? And uh, I would also qualify this by saying, even if you're not a Christian and you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, if you don't, what could it hurt? I, I, I double-dog dare you. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's pray together. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for those in this room, teachers and kids upstairs, all of us here in this room. Holy Spirit, come and fill us from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet. Fill us with your presence from on high. Holy Spirit, minister to us. We confess that we are desperate for you, even if we don't know it or recognize it every moment. We know, God, we know on some level that we are no good by ourselves, not for good, not for long. So give us the Holy Spirit that we may know the Father's love in Christ Jesus, that we may have the hope of the glory of God, that we may exalt in our tribulations. And God, this week I pray we may live a spirit-filled life and we could experience at the least a taste of life filled with the Holy Spirit, the voice and presence and power of love in us.
We give ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.